Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And welcome to Secure the Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seifert, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. My guest this week spent 13 years anchoring loose women, where as well as discussing the news of the day, she opened up about love, loss, and the growth of her children, Finn and Amy. Since then, she's become an entrepreneur and through her work, she has adopted the pay it forward technique and I'm so grateful for her doing so. After learning how to be a life coach, she left the TV world and with an online community and her third book, You Just Need to Believe It, she has shown how in 10 days you can journal and change your negative mindset into a positive one. I'm delighted to talk to a girl that is on fire, the brilliant, the brave and the bubbly, Andrea McLean. Hello, Andrea. Hello. Can you just follow me around, giving me intros, even if I'm just walking into the supermarket? Because that was great. Thank you so much. Well, you it know is. I love you. You know I love you. I bought, I worked with you, and the, I had an opportunity a couple of years ago, and I was told, right, go and get any presenter you want, and they can host a radio show. You could choose anyone you want, and the one person I chose was you. Oh, I remember. I was so flattered. I was so kind of, really? Me? Thank you. And then we had a lot of fun. I loved working with you. It was great. We did have a lot of fun, although I still, and we'll talk about this in a bit, I still hold that little bit of guilt because I remember there was a point and I think a caller dropped out and we didn't know what to do. And I was quite young as a producer at that point and I'd only done like, actual producing for like three, four months. And I remember you mm-hmm. saying, because you had Denise Welsh as your co-host, a dear friend of ours, and mm. you said, I feel like a swan. I'm flapping underneath but I'm just gliding on top and I thought oh my god I'm the worst producer ever to make you feel like a swan you should be feeling like a fish going through water (laughs) well I'm used to feeling like a swan because that's what telly's like you look very serene on the top and all everybody notices is what your feathers look like and underneath you're pedaling like mad so no it was an analogy that I use every day on the telly so I want to talk about you just need to believe it your brand new books it's incredible but the first thing I want to do with you, Andrew, if this is okay, is I want to ask you a question. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. there's one thing that I took away from your book that wasn't in your book, but just something that I started thinking about. And it led to many conversations with my friends this week. And I got varied responses to it. 
But the question mm-hmm. is, number one, how well do you know yourself? And number two, how well do your friends know yourself? Now, what I kind of said to myself, and just to give bold numbers is, I know myself 90%. There's 10% of me that's a secret that no one knows but me. My two best friends know 80% of me. My friends know 60% of me. And my acquaintances, my Instagram followers know about 30% of me. So when you think about yourself, how well do you think you know yourself? And how well do you think your partner Nick knows you and your friends know you? What a brilliant question. That's so good. Okay, so give me the the list and I'll give you the percentages. Right. How well do you know yourself? I'd say now in my 50s, because I'm a little bit ahead of you, um, or quite a lot ahead of you, um, it would be... I'd say about 98%. There's probably 2% that is as yet unpeeled. And that's the beauty of it. You know, that maybe it's, it might even be 95%. There might be more to me than that I don't even realize. But because of my life experiences and because of my real passion for peeling back the layers and peeling back the layers of why why as humans do we behave the way we do and why do we think the way we do and if those thoughts and behaviors aren't serving us what can we do to change it and i'm i'm literally sitting in my office now johnny and i'm surrounded by by books and these are books i've collected since my 20s so this is something i've been interested in my whole life so i've been unpeeling for a really long time so i'm just a little bit further ahead than you if you like in in doing this uh, so that's why my percentages maybe um, a little bit higher, but I'd say that's where I am. So it's interesting to say 98% because I've always had the theory that if you were to know yourself 100%, that, and I know this sounds a bit morbid, but I believe you will know the full potential of what you can do 100% when you die. That's when you've done your job in the world. That's when you've completed mm. that life cycle. That's 100%. So mm. I'm not saying that if you're on 98%, you know, something's going to happen to you yeah, with that over yeah. 2%. But it's interesting you see yourself so much at 98% when you meditate and you journal and you practice self-development every day. Because if you're 98%, it's like, well, that 2% is not going to be that much more. Surely oh, no, you know yourself. The 2% could be in- insanely intense. because the, And the way I see it, you should always leave a little gap. Leave a little bit for more. Because every day you learn, you learn, you learn. So in terms of... You know, I could be completely wrong. I could think I know myself really well. And then by the time I get to 60, 70, 80, I look back and think, wow. So when I was 52, I thought I knew that much. Boy, did I get that wrong. There was so much more about me to to learn. But I think why I give myself such a high percentage is because I've done the work for a long time and I'm really open to basically allowing whatever needs to happen for me to to learn and grow and so because I do it every day I kind of feel like okay that was a learning moment I didn't realize that I'm going to put that in my little pocket or my jar or wherever it is but I think always leave yourself a little bit of a little bit of room well you've been very lucky in your life and I'm going to change the mindset because uh you know you lived in Trinidad and Tobago that's one Mm. you moved Mm -hmm. over to England that's two then you have been in three different families three different relationships and therefore, you've had to go back to the bottom and then pick yourself up again. And so you've had to learn something new about yourself, but then also have a new partner that's going to give you a different angle to the way you look at the world because mm. they're going to shape it a little bit. So even when you met Nick a couple of years ago, you would have had to adapt the way you look at the world and also 
learn something new about yourself based on previous experience, which a lot of people can't actually do. And and I think you're so right to 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 look at it that way because you know yes I've had I've had many blessings in my life and yes I've had misfortune in my life I've had incredible moments of happiness and I've had terrible moments of despair but I think that you need to treat everything that happens to you as something that you don't deserve and isn't fair so once I got my head around that. It's such a game changer because all those things you listed, you know, yeah, I moved, I was, I had a lovely upbringing. I, I, I grew up in a in a lovely, warm, sunny country, and 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 it was brilliant. And then I moved back to UK and got bullied at school, and it was terrible. And then, you know, I had various highs, and then I've met different, had different relationships in my life, which some of them have ended up very dark and and extremely painful. All of those things that happened to me, I didn't deserve and wasn't fair. And what I mean by that is I no more deserve to have a really beautiful childhood, being fortunate enough to be born into loving parents, as I did to have a relationship that ended up being dark and and not good. You know, there are things that happen to us every day that we don't deserve that aren't fair, whether it's, you know, that we're born healthy, that cognitively we're able to think really clearly and understand what's happening around us that we experience love and joy but also things happen to us that aren't fair that we experience pain i think as soon as you look at those two things equally it shifts your mindset and you realize in a weird way you're either lucky to experience one or you will learn something from the other one and it changes how you look at everything i completely agree and i was bullied at school when i was about seven or eight and so i didn't really notice it It was oh that person's looking at me and i spoke to him years later and he said look i was jealous of you you know that was pure and simple i i had the friends i had the girl he didn't and therefore he was jealous of me yeah you were bullied at 16 and i I was listening to you on frankie bridges podcast talking about it a couple of years ago and it always Mm -hmm. stuck with me because you spoke to your head teacher about it Mm -hmm. and you tried to change the mindset and at 16 years old when you're a little bit more comfortable with yourself and you knew what was right, what was wrong, and also what to believe and not to believe. You know, you knew if they were calling you ugly, you weren't ugly. You you know, you'd found that beauty in yourself. You weren't going to, you know, sticks and stones may break your bones type thing. And mm. you were able to change that mindset and go, no, you're bullying me. I don't like your behaviour. We're going to change something rather than just accepting it because it came at 16 at an age where you were able to change it. Whereas when I was eight years old, I wasn't impressionable yet. I didn't yeah. know how to do that change. Yeah, and I think as well, I understood why I was being bullied. I understood it right from the get-go because I was I was strange compared to them. You know, I was a white girl with a broad Caribbean accent. Um, I looked different, I suppose, in terms of my outlook was very different and I kind of bounced along and I was quite smiley. And then, <laughs> and then I developed acne and my mum started perming my hair. I did go through quite a bumpy phase in terms of looks. So they did have a point. Um, but I understood where their actions were coming from. Even as a teenager, I, I thought, I get it. I look weird compared to you. And my I think differently to you. And you're scared of me, so you're bullying me. I get it. The reason I went to see the head teacher was because I tried to kind of deal with it on my own. I also understood why the friends that I'd made would disappear. Every time these bullies appeared, they would literally disappear and I'd be on my own. And then they'd kind of sidle back in again once the pushing and shoving and whatever had, had passed. Um, but I went to see the head teacher and said, 
you may not know that you have a problem with bullying, but you do. And this isn't just me. It's happening, you know, to other people. And you need to have a look at how you're you're dealing with this because we don't have anyone to talk to. What are you going to do about it? And he flatly denied that there was a problem. And I was so angry with him because I felt that, and I had the same with a math teacher as well. I'd been to see him about something else. I don't know what it was. And he flatly ignored me as well. And I just thought, you're in the wrong job. You're, we're in school because we have no choice. You're, part of your thing is not just reading, writing, and arithmetic. You, you need to look after us. And you're not doing your job properly. And nowadays, I think, actually, a 16-year-old having that mindset would have more tools to um, bring about change and more confidence. But then I just thought, well, this pa- I'm powerless. There's nothing I can, nothing I can do. You won't, you won't listen to me. But I won't forget this. And for me, it's always been in me to, even if no one else is going to do something to change something, I will try. I've always been that way. I might not try it in a holding a placard and shouting and jumping up and down. I tend to try in a more sideways way, but I will try. It's so important. And that's why I've always said we need to have mental health taught in schools. And I know it is now, but back in the mm-hmm. day when we were there and, you know, PSHE was, for example, you know, being told about the birds and the bees and as boys we'd have all just laughed at it we never took it seriously or you'd had drugs line yeah. come in or alcohol to come in these are what drugs are these are alcohol that was never going to help why not give us mental health classes because the amount of stuff we've dealt with then i think we're all getting that i don't want to use these bold statements but in in context the ptsd now from back then which we would never have had had we been able to, to have an open forum to talk about it then yeah i mean i'm sure in in some cases i feel very fortunate that I don't have that, and I know I don't have that in terms of it being a... It, yes, it was a traumatic... It was a traumatic experience. It was horrible. So, but I don't experience trauma for it, but I know it shaped a lot of my behaviour, and I know it made me more self-conscious. I know that it was one of the first steps and in, in the first stages in don't shine your light too bright because people don't like it very much. So keep dimming it, keep dimming it. And I know that... I felt that way for a very, very long time. And then I was unfortunate enough to be in relationships where that sort of continued. And again, I think it's interesting to look, to look back on experiences that you had at school, that they will form little hooks in your brain that you then hang on future experiences. And every time something happens that your, your body and your brain recognizes, whether it's fear, and we call it triggering now, but every, that you recognize as fear or that uncomfortable feeling, your brain will recognize, ah, that was because that's what happened when, and you hang it on that hook, and you keep reinforcing that feeling. And what I realized later on in life is actually you need to take all those things off that hook and put it back to that was just something that happened when. I don't need to just keep reinforcing that my, either my acceptance of that behavior or my fear of that behavior just because it will keep happening throughout my life. It doesn't automatically, it may happen again, but it doesn't automatically mean that. So, but again, that's something I've learned later on. You know, that somebody looking at me funny doesn't automatically mean that they hate me. It could just mean that I haven't got my glasses on. They can't, they can't quite see, you know. Don't automatically go back to a situation that you've had before and reframe it with, with that mindset.
Oh, they recognise you from TV. They don't know if they want to talk to you. I live near the EastEnders set, and so I see EastEnders actors all the time. And you know that I meet celebrities all the time. And yeah. if I'm at a celeb do, absolutely fine going up to people. But when I see the EastEnders actors on the street near where I live, I freak out. I go all shy. And because, number one, I'm the biggest EastEnders fan. And number two, I'm not performing now. I'm not Johnny yeah, Seifert, the showbiz yeah. editor of Talk Radio. I'm just Johnny Seifert. And therefore, yeah. I look at them and I go, oh, my God, I know who you are. But I'm not going to talk to you. And that's the same thing when you meet normal people on the street. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I forget that I've been on telly for 20 odd years. <laughs> Sometimes when people look at me, I think, oh, are you one of the mums from the school? Are you... <laughs> someone that I met once at a thing and it, sometimes I get it takes me by surprise and they come over and go I've just realized who you are <laughs> you're Andrew from the telly and it's like oh yeah of course I forget <laughs> well we're going to be talking all about this in a little bit because I'm so interested to know about how you refound your purpose but before then I just want to pick up something you said about triggering because you call it the triggered dog and it's all about personifying the thought so you call it the triggered dog we know Denise Welsh calls her depression the unwelcome visitor. Poppy North, the author, talks about thoughts and how she physically removes herself from the thoughts. I want to bring that together, all three of those examples, because Jay Shetty said something amazing on Stephen Bartlett's Life of a CEO podcast. And he was talking all about when it comes to those thoughts. And there was a study. And the study was basically for men and women, you've got a thought, right? You could spend 15 minutes with your thoughts or you can have an electric shock. And the research found that 30% of women would rather have the electric shock than sit with their thoughts. And men were 60% to have their time with the electric shock rather than with their thoughts. So bringing that all together, that whole personification of the thoughts is all about changing those negative thoughts into positive ones and distancing yourself from it, whatever way you do. I mean, you can't positively reframe everything. And I think that that's what leads to toxic positivity. And I, I think that toxic positivity is just as harmful as becoming overwhelmed with, with negative thoughts. Because by putting a shiny, smiley face plaster over something and pretending everything is okay, actually what you're doing is you're completely confusing your brain who's going, why are you pretending everything is all right because it's really not all right? And now I'm whirring around inside thinking, I'm so confused. Now I'm even more stressed because this is something you're not telling me. And I think it's really useful to remind yourself of that. If you, you know, we've always been brought up to grin and bear it, you know, just smile your way through. And for me personally, I did it for years and years and years. Just keep smiling. Just, just don't say anything. Just keep smiling. And what I realized is actually you need to, you need to face the thoughts rather than sticking a smiley plast on top of it and trying not to look at it. You face it, but you don't need to, you know, aggressively challenge it or that kind of thing. Just look at it, see it for what it is. And that's why, again, I, I call, you know, we, we can walk around for one day and be triggered by a billion things. If our brain has become so hardwired to look for things that will upset us, and that's normally because we're in a state of high alert, because we're feeling really overwhelmed and anxious, which a lot of people are, are right now. But if you can find a way to experience something that, we, like I say, we now call triggering, and to look at it for what it is, oh, I'm feeling this way because, of, because that's upset me before. Okay, I, I understand that. The reason I called it trigger the dog is because if you imagine something that you're really afraid of, as like a snarling dog, and we've all had this experience, 
at some point in our lives when we've either walked down the street or you've gone into someone's home and a dog comes at you. And it's terrifying. And every part of your body reacts, you know, mentally, you're terrified. Physically, you, you freeze and your hair feels like it stands on end. And this dog is coming at you. And we all know that, you know, that in itself can be really overwhelming. But if you stand your ground, the dog eventually will calm down. The dog will have, will have eventually, I mean, clearly not in all cases, but in most cases, will, will calm down. And it's the same thing that we have to do with our thoughts that are triggering us. And then, for me, I took it one step further and thought, if you can almost make your fears silly, and it's not to belittle what your fears are, but what it is is make them less loud in your head. So if you even think of it, right, think of it, this is like a dog, it's charging at me. What do I do? I call the dog trigger. So if you just think, trigger the dog, sit. Trigger the dog, just stop right there. Again, it gives your, your brain something else to do, something else to focus on. And also it, your brain understands that process. And what you'll find is you, you calm down so much quicker. And then you're able to look at the situation for what it is, not what your feelings are telling you that it is. The two aren't always the same. What you talk about with toxic positivity, I think, has become almost an industry within itself, you've got certain individuals who have massive teams around them who are just putting out these positive quotes. And look, I will share hundreds of those quotes on Instagram every day. I love them. But mm. it's a business at the end of the day. They're doing it, yeah, to help you. But at the end of the day, it's all about the likes, all about the shares still. And so it's all about what you're talking about, personifying those fears rather than allowing other people to just go, well, you'll be okay. You know, it's okay to not be okay, etc. Like, do it yourself yeah. rather than rely on someone else to tell you about it. Well, this is why with the 10 challenges in, in the book, they all revolve around you. They all revolve around you looking into yourself. And the reason for that is because, and, and, and I talk about it as well in terms of who you follow on social media, be really careful with that. The reason I, I do this is because we're now almost subliminally programmed at such a level that we don't even know that we're doing it that we're constantly looking outside of ourselves for something to make us feel better. So you think, oh, well, I'll look at, a, you know, 100 amazing motivational quotes today, or um, I'll feel better when this person stops behaving in this way. I'll feel better when the sun shines. It could be, could be whatever. But actually, you have the power. And, and I get you in terms of the, the motivational quotes and this sort of thing. I love a motivational quote. I put them out all the time. I have a little calendar thing at home on the kitchen windowsill. And I turn it over every day and it's got the date and a little motivational quote. I love it. It makes me think because so I, I look at it every morning when I turn it over and I think, oh, that's interesting. But I don't look at it to save me because a motivational quote cannot save you. It will maybe help you think differently and maybe it can take you down a path where you can journal or just mull it over. But just clicking and liking 100 motivational quotes on Instagram is not going to change your mindset. If anything, it will drive you crazy because you'll think, why can't I feel the way those quotes are telling me how to feel? Just doing that is not enough. Oh, it makes you overthink and think about those situations that you're supposed to apply it to. And that's what on Instagram, I do curls all the time. I always mm -hmm. say out of sight, out of mind, I check who looks at my story and therefore... I don't want people looking at my story who at the moment are toxic. You know, if it's someone that I've stopped talking to or even I've got to the point of saying, well, look, if I've not seen a friend in a year, 
they're not a friend anymore. Yeah, we'll wish each other happy birthday, but realistically, we're not going to be seeing each other anytime soon. And so it hurts me that we're not friends anymore. So rather than seeing them look at my story as if everything's fine, I'll unfollow them. And I know that might not be right, and I know it's very extreme. But at the end of the day, I need to make sure that for myself and my mindset that what I'm seeing isn't going to trigger me anything negative. See, that's really interesting because for me, you know, I have friends that I don't see them from year to year. And yet I I know that I had one uh, a couple of days ago, actually, who she's a teacher and we're really, we're really great friends. But sometimes eight months will go by and we haven't spoken to each other and then we'll randomly pop into each other's head, send a little text and then we kind of carry on with our day. But I still love her and I, and I know that we we wish each other all the best. We just don't see very much of each other so to me not not seeing wouldn't be a reason to to have a cull for me it would be more i don't believe you anymore if if do you know what i mean if someone's putting things out on social media and i just think this isn't sitting well with me i i know what you're really like and this is not the truth that you're putting out and it's not sitting right with me so i would unfollow for for that reason yeah, well, that's you know, we're all personal. It's, it's, you know, it's up to us. We do whatever we want. Well, exactly. And, and, and this leads me very nicely to, I've, I've basically chosen a couple of themes in your book, You Just Need to Believe It, that sentimentally meant something to me. Not that nothing that they only meant to me, but there was a couple of themes here I just wanted to pick out if that's okay with you. And the first is a line that you say right at the beginning. And this is to do with what you just said, actually. Who am I when I'm not being what somebody else needs me to be? And I thought, wow. And I had to put your book down for a second and just take that in. That's such a powerful line. Mm, isn't it? Because we never ask ourselves that question. And we're so busy being what we think other people need us to be. And especially girls grow up being what they think other people need them, need them to be in terms of being kind and helpful and be quiet and be a good girl and all this sort of thing. But I absolutely believe that it's the same with boys. You know, um, who am I when I'm not being whatever I need me to be when they need me to be strong, to be successful, to be to be powerful and go-getting and all of all of these kinds of things. Actually, when you strip all of that away, who am I? And it can be when you say it out loud, it can leave an, an echo. And it, which seems to go on for eternity because we don't know. I don't know who I am when I'm not being what everyone else needs me to be. And when you really stop and think about it, it's actually such a powerful moment because that's when you can start jotting down, well, okay, I don't know the answer to this. Who would I like to be? And then you can sort of take it from there. But I'm really glad you had that reaction to it. Well, I'm also very glad that we had the pandemic because I was able to go. I moved out about four months before the pandemic happened. And so I was able to go, right, who am I? When I am stripped back of everything, I'm stripped back of my friends. I'm stripped back of going to the gym, which I used as a social activity because I used to see people there and, you know, just go and chat. Who am I when it's just me in my flat alone? I had to learn to love myself and to go, right, it's okay. You don't need to have dinner at four o'clock because you've got nothing to do. What are you going to do to fill that time? What are my hobbies going to be? What am I going to do that's going to get me up in the morning and get going? And I had to find that for myself. And thank mm. God for the pandemic for something like that. Mm, and I think... Well, I think you're you're very lucky that that was the mindset that you had because you were you were a step ahead of yourself if you know what I mean because your you know your mind was already working in that way. I know that the pandemic had that reaction 
for many people because it made them stop and think. And for some, that was a really painful experience because actually it meant looking in the eyes of their life and they found they didn't like it very much. But for some, it was, okay, and now suddenly I have all this time and I'm going to use it to really think about who I am, what I do, is what I'm doing actually what makes me happy and what can I do to to change it? Again, that was for people who were, I think, also fortunate enough not to have young children in the house who they were having to homeschool and work and, and all this sort of stuff. So it depended on what your circumstances were. But that was that's really great and powerful that you had that experience. Everyone's experience was different. I wrote my last book in the pandemic, and then as the time went on, I realized I needed to quit my job and go all in on... <laughs> <laughs> on what I was doing, so yeah, yeah, we all had our own unique experiences. <laughs> it's funny because this girl's on fire. I remember when you wore the hoodie for the first time, and that would yeah. have been what 2018 ish, something like that. Yeah, so yeah. It's interesting to see. I was there kind of at the beginning of your journey to see it from go from there all the way to where it is now is incredible. And obviously, pandemic aside, the amount you've achieved in literally three years is incredible. Thank you. It's been. It's been a very steep learning curve, and we've tried so many things that haven't worked. And, you know, it's really easy for people to go, oh, look, she just did this thing, and it was just all amazing. <laughs> so many things that didn't work. And, but every single thing that we tried, we did with full heart and um, lots of love and gave it a go. And whether it was – because, yeah, for a time, we, we were selling hoodies with this girls on fire on it. We, were, we had products. Uh, we had a marketplace for a while where I championed female entrepreneurs and, and did it that way. And again, the pandemic meant that that didn't didn't quite work out because clearly supply didn't work in the way that it, it should have done and all this sort of thing. And then decided, right, we're going to change it into a into a membership. So it's like a subscription service, if you like, so that then we can bring you all this amazing content that you you only have access to once you buy into it and the reason for that is then that gives us the funds to get give you even better better stuff and that was a big thing for me because when I first started it was a free blog which then turned into a free website that I was turning down sponsors advertising I didn't want it to be one of these really annoying places where the adverts are constantly bouncing up it's like whack-a-mole when you're just trying to read an article but I was paying other people to to write for us I was paying people to put the website together the only person it wasn't free to was me so that was why I had to figure out a way to write how can I commercialize this in a way that keeps it really pure and beautiful and gives amazing value I made it into a membership and then that was when ah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And it all started to make sense. It's incredible. It's incredible to go on a journey, see the beginning, have the hardship, and then come out the other side and then look back and go, oh, look at that <laughs> in hindsight. Otherwise, it's all on the high and it's all intense and it's all good. There's no journey. And you know, being in the media, we like a journey. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and again, all it is is, Oh, it's working. But then it just takes in a different way. And then you have another mountain to climb because then something else happens. So for us, the biggest thing that's let us down, well, it's not let us down, it's just taken a lot longer than we'd hoped, was tech. Because what's so wonderful is I believe in personal growth. And to me, personal growth is finding a way that you learn to look inside yourself and work with what you've got and become your own champion in as much as, you know, I don't feel that 
empowerment means everybody has to be wearing a power suit and being a CEO. Not at all. To me, empowerment is you've been too scared to leave your house for the past two years and you feel brave enough to walk to the, the corner shop. That's empowerment. It's whatever level that works for you. But I wanted to find a way to put it in the palm of people's hands that they could carry it around everywhere they went, have it in their back pocket, just like you have. We've become so used to now with Instagram or, or Facebook or Twitter or all of these things to put it in a way that people understand. And we've literally just signed off on it. And This Girl is on Fire is now an app. And what's taken us so long to get to this point has actually made it even more beautiful because we've been working on a beta testing app with a few hundred members and just trying testing, trying testing, making sure it all works, making sure all the masterclasses, are they, are they too long? Are they too short? Do you like the workbooks? What do you think of the live events that we do? What do you think of the coaching that we do? Everything that we give you? Okay, feedback, feedback. Keep making it better, making it better. And now the app is out there. And what that means is this thing that I started as a blog that ended up turning into a website where we were we were being visited by 75 countries around the world. So I was, it was wonderful. I was kind of churning stuff out to keep it, keep it going. Now it means it's a global platform in a way that I can just keep doing what I'm doing at a rate that works for me so I don't end up burning out and breaking down. But that anywhere in the world now, someone can have what I do in their back pocket, in their phone. And to me, that's like a dream come true. It's amazing. Well, you told an anecdote. I can't remember where I heard it. It was either Emma Forbes's podcast or Frankie Bridges' podcast or someone else's podcast that you've been on before, maybe Katie Piper's. Mm. Uh, but you spoke about a woman who was part of your Zoom community and had never said anything. And then she practiced everything that you were manifesting and talking about. And then she came on Zoom and she spoke out loud for the first time. D yeah. Does this resonate with you? Have I made this up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And again, it could be... So people say to me, oh, do you miss doing live telly? I kind of do the version of it within my community, but the difference is it's over Zoom. So although even that we've upgraded now, we're using different technology. But for the past year, it's been Zoom. So what that means is I see my whole screen filled with faces and then I swipe across, swipe across, swipe across, and I can see this grid of, of all these faces. And some people are too shy to even have their cameras on. So they're, they're watching, but they don't want to be seen. And I have a community team that work within, uh, within this Girls on Fire. So they're really wonderful women. It's actually headed up by my sister. My sister is head of community, uh, which is brilliant because it's a perfect job for her because she's the nicest person in the world. And she keeps an eye on people. And she gives me little bits of feedback. And so and so, she's done this masterclass. And actually, I think she's growing a little bit. Get in touch with her and have a little, you know, a little chat. Um, and then... Yeah, one day to have someone who's been so shy be brave enough to not only switch their camera on, but give a little wave to let me know she wants to speak is huge, huge. And that's what I mean. You know, I get a bit cross when people say, Andrew McLean runs a female empowerment site. Like I'm literally, you know, it, it, it kind of gives the wrong impression of what, what we do. Yes, we've had women who have, gone in, they've quit their job, they've applied for amazing jobs, they've started their own business, they've done they've done these things which have you know, that was the pinnacle of what they wanted to go for. But for some women it has been just as small as being brave enough to switch their camera on and speak in front of people. And I love 
each one equally. It doesn't matter because it's as long as it works for them. Because it's all about them. It doesn't matter about me. It's all about them. It's so true. It's so true. And talking about making sure the individual is okay, you speak about in your book the second theme I've picked out, and it's three words to describe you or how your friends would describe yourself. Mm. And I thought, okay, if I'm going to describe myself, I would say I'm intense, I'm insecure, I'm paranoid. But then when I thought, what would my friends say? Straight away, it went for funny, trusting, wise, a reflector. And I thought, how interesting that if I'm going to talk about myself, straight away, it's negative. If I'm going to mm. think about what my friends say about me, straight away, it's positive. There's no interchange. It's not some negative, some positive. If I think about myself, negative, friends, positive. Mm. And that's why it's such a powerful tool. And I first heard about that through the, a man called Brendan Bruchard, who I've followed for years in terms of his, um, I, for years I was coached by one of his, his coaches. And um, it was a test that he did. And I remember listening to it and thinking, okay, that's interesting. So I got my notebook out and I wrote down my, my three words. And then I got Nick to do it. And then I thought, what, exactly like you did, why is there that huge void between how people I love me and how I see myself and then what that does is rather than beat yourself up for thinking why do I think so negatively about myself be curious as to why and then look at what you can do to build that bridge between how you reflect on yourself and how other people who love you see you and it's really powerful it's so simple it's really simple that's why just taking three words you know right now what's lovely for, for me oh gosh what would I say my three words one <laughs> three words would be tired, hungover, and hungry. Because <laughs> I went out last night. <laughs> but they're not bad words. And I think if my husband was saying, <laughs> what are your three words? He'd say the same thing. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> but it's inter- you're right. It's, but it's about the environment you're in or what you've just recently done. You know, at the moment, I'm sitting in front of a microphone. So I feel empowered. I feel confident. Yeah. I haven't got imposter syndrome. If you were sitting in front of me right now, I would get massive imposter syndrome, but speaking to you down the phone, I, I feel better. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, there's that that sacred part there that I'm talking to someone who's such a good interviewer that I know that if you're sitting in front of me, I think, oh, what, does she respect these questions? You know, and it's interesting that the environment changes the situation of these three words, and it's something that really we should be practicing all day every day. I'm not saying you know we should, but imagine if you literally yeah. every ten minutes set an alarm and went right. Go on, watch your three words now. Ten minutes later, three words, three words, three words. And it will change all through the day. Exactly. And it's why it's something that just revisit every now and again. Just come back to it. And also, you know, I'm a big believer in journaling. And journaling doesn't have to be reams and reams of writing. It can be little, it can be jotting things down. It can be just little observations. And it can also be streams of consciousness or just, you know, word vomiting onto, onto the page. But if you revisit it fairly regularly... It can be such a lovely experience because you think, oh, gosh, that's great. Look at what those three words are that I now feel about myself. And also, no one else will see this. And this is why I keep coming back to all the work that, you know, I ask people to to do in, in, in the book and also in the community is you're not doing this for anyone else. You're not putting a public face on. You're doing these lessons on your own in private. So write whatever you want. It can be ugly. It can be messy, it can be dark, it can be embarrassing, it can be all of these things that we would never show anyone else. But even just releasing it, you know, like you, like you said, you know, these things that maybe you've been... 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In your past, in your twenties, that you 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 tell stories about, you know, oh, I'm so embarrassed that I did these things. No, they're just things that I did that I got wrong. And also, remind yourself, if I'd known better, I'd have done better. That's what it comes down to. I did the best I could with what I knew at the, the time. And also, sometimes I knew better, and I still did stupid things. That's what makes us human. And then put it down and carry on. If if it's that you need to. Put, even put guilt down forgive yourself talk to the other person if you feel like there's something that you want to sort of get off your chest because you, you're carrying around you know I think I was not great for that person even if it's write them a letter so you don't have to verbally speak to them or send them send them a text then put it out to the ether it's done it's gone make your peace with yourself and move on completely agree with you. and what you're talking about journaling for yourself there's something else in your book page 71 you talk about which is the simple task of making a bed. And the first time I really came across it was when Vinnie Jones released his autobiography and it was after his wife Tanya had passed away and he said he makes his bed every day and that just starts his day because he knows he's done a task. So no matter what you're going through grief-wise, you've just done a task, you can tick it off. You talk about it gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. And it's the fact that you're making... Okay, if you've got a partner, you're sharing a bed with someone. But on the whole, if you're single like me, and I can only talk from personal experience... I went out and bought more show cushions and I make the bed and sometimes I'll tuck the duvet in as well all the way around Love and I it. might put a little chocolate at the top of my bed if I remember sometimes so that I've got something Love nice to come it. to. And I live basically as if I'm on a cruise ship. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, you're doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for others. I have a cleaner every month for myself. 
so that I can be proud of my flat for me, not because anyone else is coming over, but for me. And I think there's so many things that we do that we don't even realize we're doing for ourselves. I think if you go to a gym, you might do that for other people, you know, aesthetically, I want to have a six pack, so therefore uh, a girl will fancy me. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. when it's in your home and it's making the bed, or if it's something that's just so simple, you're doing it for you. And I think there's such power in just making yourself happy for yourself and not for anyone else's validation. You've made me so happy saying that. So happy. Because, you know, just like what you said, that I live my life as if I'm on a cruise ship. You know, the, how I describe it is when we're fortunate enough to go away somewhere, even if it's just for a night, and you stay in a hotel, oh, my goodness, the sheer bliss that someone else has made the bed, someone else has put some towels in the bathroom, and you don't have to do the laundry. is so exciting. But why do we not treat our own sleeping arrangements like that? So for me, it's, and again, that's how I phrase it in the book, it's it's two different things. And I speak about, um, there's a speech that was done by an admiral, and it was a commencement speech, where he was talking about, it's about discipline and and this sort of thing, and making your bed is that, exactly like Vinnie Jones said, it's a task that you have completed. And you've only just got up, so you can already feel that you've done something positive. But it also goes beyond that, because if you make your bed the best that you can make it and really, you know, smooth down those crumpled bottom sheets, pull the duvet tight, get some cushions and things and, and put them on, get a, get a lovely throw. Because two things, if you've had a terrible day, you have this amazing reward at the end of it where you are getting in to the most beautifully made bed and you deserve to get into a beautifully made bed because you're amazing. And on the flip side, if you have had an amazing day and everything's gone really great, you walk into your bedroom and see your amazing bed. You are high-fiving yourself thinking, look at that. I deserve all of that. And you feel great about yourself. And actually, all you've done is made your bed. Whereas if you leave it kind of rumpled and twisted and you've got pillows you know, on the floor and kind of half hanging off, and then at the end of the day, that's what you're looking at and you get into, you're kind of, to me anyway, you're carrying with you all the kind of rumpled, twisted, crumpled parts of your day and your life that aren't going very well, and then you're laying down in it, and you're sort of carrying it with you into the next day. Every day is a fresh start. Even if you wake up in the morning and think, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I've got to do this again. Every day is a fresh start. So treat it like that. Oh, completely. And you talk about it in your book about looking in the mirror, for example, after you wake up and just saying a little conversation to yourself. And I remember uh, Davina McCall was on Fern Cotton's Happy Place and she said she broke down and she couldn't get to the point of saying I love you to herself. And it took a really, really long time. And it's interesting because I will sometimes look in the mirror and go, you all right, mate? You all right? You all right? But it's little things like that that just make such a difference. Being in a bed, looking in the mirror at yourself. And just carrying yourself before you've even left your bedroom so that you've got the confidence in yourself that you're going to have a good day. Because the only person who can control your emotions is yourself. Yeah. And, you know, the mindset that you step out the door with is the mindset that you will carry with you for the rest of the day. I mean, there may be moments where you, you, yeah, you walk out the door in a stinking, absolutely thumping bad mood and something will happen and it'll change it and you'll, you know, and reframe and vice versa. I mean, clearly, you know, we need to get real. However, for me, obviously meditation is a big part of it. And I've meditated for many, many years, decades. And it's always come down to the same thing, which is if you can start the day grounded, the day will go grounded. It will stay grounded. 
And for me, it's a, it's a settling, and it, help, it helps with anxiety, it helps with overwhelm, and it helps with the, the kind of whirring in my brain sometimes when I can feel like everything's getting a bit too much. But the, the mirror exercise, I think that's chapter six, where it's, it's called I Love You, that again, that comes from uh, Louise Hay. So, and, and I'm really open about saying these things. I'm not some kind of genius who's thought of all of these incredible tools. Not at all. I'm really open about the fact that, you know, the things I put in here, of course, are a collection of things that other people who are way smarter than me have used. I just bring them all together and show you how I, how I use them. And the I Love You Challenge is the pivot point in the book. This is the one that when I did the 10-day challenge with my really lovely community uh, before it even became a book, this was the pivot, pivotal moment for them. Because I, I can't speak for men, but I know especially for women, the first thing we do when we look at ourselves in the mirror is we look at the bits we don't like. Our eyes automatically go to whether we feel like we've put on weight or whether we feel like we're a bit saggy or we've got wrinkles around our eyes or all the things that is kind of drummed into us that are not good. And then you instantly just feel like, oh, it just, it's a, it's a downer. And so this exercise is to look at yourself in, in the eyes, in, in the mirror. And you don't have to be naked. It doesn't have to be after you get out of the shower. It could be any point. And just say, I love you and mean it. And most of us can't do that. When I did it for the first time, my reaction really surprised me because one, I couldn't meet my own eyes. And then when I did, and I'd stand still and look at myself in the mirror and say, I love you, I did it. And then I was furious, this wave of anger. I was so angry with myself and I couldn't understand. And then I just walked away and I had to carry on with my day. And then I tried it again, again, furious. And then I tried to break down. Why am I so angry? Why is my reaction anger? And I realized I was so angry with how I had been speaking to this woman who was looking at me in the mirror and all she wanted was love. And I had for years spoken horribly to her. I had put her down. I told her she was worthless. I told her she was stupid, that she was ugly, that no one loved her and no one cared. And that had been my go-to every time I, I looked in the mirror. And I hadn't even realized it. I hadn't even realized I'd been doing this thing. So then I cried. And most people will get to a point where they will cry. And it sounds ridiculous because we look at ourselves in the mirror four million times a day. We'll do it all the time. We'll glance at ourselves. We'll tidy our hair. We'll, you know, check ourselves out in the shop window, whatever. We all do it. You know, pretend you don't. You do. We all do it. But to stand still and actually look at you is a really, really intensely powerful thing. But once you get to that point where you can look in the mirror and, and do exactly what you just said, which is so good. All right, mate. Morning. All right. It's wonderful because actually what you're doing is you're greeting yourself with the love and affection that a friend or someone who loves you would greet you. And it that's what we all deserve. comes back to the made bed thing. You know, we're so often we, we go, we, we look outside of ourselves for the love that actually we can give to ourselves. And if you're constantly waiting for someone else to give it, you may never receive it. So it's, vital that we learn to give it to ourselves and then also um and i know uh, jenny you reacted really beautifully to the visualization that i wrote about overcoming fear what that stems from is 
understanding that you need to 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 treat whether it's anger and anxiety and all these things that we feel at ourselves and within ourselves you need to treat it with love and the only way that you can do that is to really powerfully love yourself and that's something that all of us struggle with completely agree with you and also it's, it's having that i'm okay you know it's okay to be me as a person, to not rely on having a partner, not to rely on having kids, not having validation from those around me, a community. Just do you. And this links me to the final thing that I wanted to take away from your book. You just need to believe it. And it's all about saying no to events. And I've had weddings recently and I've gone, well, I don't know anyone going. I know the bride, but that's the other side of the party. You know, I'd be with the groom and the men and therefore... Just because I've got a platonic relationship with the girl doesn't mean that I'm going to know anyone there. And it's like, well, hold on a minute. Why am I not good enough to go alone? Just because I don't know anyone, I could go. I could speak to everyone. I've got an interesting job. But it's interesting how we hold ourselves back from things because we don't have that self-belief in ourselves. Oh, gosh, yeah, and I'm the worst at that. And and people would people would think, well, how? You work on TV, you know. You talk for a living. You 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 do this kind of thing all the time, and you're super smiley and confident. And surely you're amazing when you walk into a room. And you know, no, the complete opposite. I'm actually very, very shy. I'm 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 an in, I'm a natural introvert who has extrovert tendencies. Which is quite quite a beautiful thing to be. Um, I'm also very. I'm an empath. I'm very empathetic. I feel too much. I can pick up on the mood in a in a room in a in a heartbeat and can feel really uncomfortable by it. So for me sometimes when I go out, I find the whole experience too overwhelming. And um when especially when I was on my own, when I was when I was single, uh if it was not necessarily a wedding because that's really hard and it takes all day and you're having to be on all day. But for example, if a friend was had an event or a launch or, or something, and they wanted me there to, to support them. I've literally, I don't live in London. I've got the train into London. I've got all dressed up. I've got the train into London. I've jumped into a black cab. I've arrived at the red carpet or whatever it is. I've had my picture taken because I know that's what my friend wants, that I've gone to their event. I've walked in. I've said hi to them and let them know, I'm here for you. I love you. I've done the bits that you need me to do. And I've literally either gone out a back door or snuck back outside again. I've sometimes been in and out of a room so fast that the same cab that dropped me off is still outside, jumped back into it again, gone back to the train station and come back home. And it's not because I'm so big for my boots that really I'm just turning up. Not at all. I'm doing it for my friend. But I think I find the whole idea of standing in a room for the people that I don't know so overwhelming and scary that I, I can't face it. I just can't do it. I spent evenings literally glued to a wall um, near the service entrance bit so that I can chat to the waitresses. And I won't talk to anyone else all night other than the waitresses because I'm too shy to strike up a conversation with anybody else, which is ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. So I un totally understand where you're coming from, this idea of, you know, oh, it's a wedding. I only know the bride. Hang on a minute. Let me flip that round. I could have an amazing day. I could meet a whole lot of people that I've never met before. And even if I never see any of them again, I could just have a brilliant time. We could have a right old laugh. And I could, you know, and even if it goes terribly, there's an anecdote. You know, sometimes how I try to reframe things is I think, do you know what? 
even if the worst thing happens, what a brilliant story. What a great story to tell. So actually, it's a win. So if, even if I have a terrible time and I do end up just standing talking to the waitress all night or whatever, what a brilliant story for later, which will help me just learn to just be kinder to myself and laugh at myself gently, not horribly. Oh, I completely agree. And that's why, you know, in the media, it's always content, you know, going on a bad day are the best because then it gives you some content for the next mm. day's show. So you've actually got something to talk about. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, again, that's a modern version of really of reframing and reframing can be a really positive thing in that. Absolutely. It's, if you just reframe it as, you know what, it's all content. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Then actually, it helps you to 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 give every experience a lightness of touch, because sometimes we can be a little bit too intense about things and think it really matters if it all goes well. And actually, it doesn't. It'd be great if it all went well, and we hope it does go well, because otherwise it's embarrassing. But actually, sometimes if something's really embarrassing, what a great story! It's all content. It doesn't matter. Well, that's so let's bring this to you now, Andrea. That, so we've talking about you, you just need to believe it, your book, it's out now, go and buy it, 10 days. We've spoken for an hour. I hope now people really realise they've got to go and buy it because there's so many important tools that we've spoken about in this podcast so far. But I want to talk about you now because I've watched you on TV, obviously, for around 13 years. And I, I feel like I know you. You know, I've grown up knowing about Finn and Amy. I've watched them grow up through your anecdotes. Mm. And then it came to the point two years ago where you said, I'm leaving these women. And I remember watching that episode and it was, well, I think, December time. I think there were Christmas trees yeah, around. Yeah. And mm. I was like, oh, festive and happy. And then you came out and said, I'm leaving these women. And we've spoken a little bit about why and the background, you know, you want to be a businesswoman and what's going really well. But mm. you were known as Andrew McLean from Loose Women. You had that tag, you know, Loose Women's Andrew McLean. And I'm sure if you get any press now, it'll be Loose Women's Andrew McLean because that's how people identify mm. with you because although you had your stuff at GMTV, et cetera, mm. et cetera, but it's usually where people first knew you and a lot of people will know you as a loose woman anchor. So mm. how have you found refining your purpose to go, right, that was then, this is me now. I'm the new Andrew McLean. That that was my past. This is my present. That's such a great question. And it's an interesting one because it comes back to the question of who am I if I'm not being what people need me to be? You know, because it's also in the who am I if I am not who people see me? And especially when you've done a job for so long in the public eye. And, you know, because I've, I worked for 23 years on daytime TV, and there's something really magical about daytime TV in that it's, there's a familiarity to it, there's this continuity of it where you show up every day and, and yeah, you're talking about yourself and you're being yourself. It's not like you're not, you're pretending to be someone else. There's this ownership of you in that people, that they expect you to always be that person in the same way that, you know, we have a favorite coffee shop we go to and there's a favorite barista and we really like seeing them and we give them a little wave and then it's like, oh, they've moved. Oh, oh, I like seeing them when I came here and they gave me my coffee and we had a little chat about our day. We do it in all walks of life. For me, it just it was millions of people doing it rather than just, you know, people local to a coffee shop. That was a, it was a big deal because there's there's ego tied up in that. Who am I if I am not being this person? Does it mean then that my identity's gone? You know, will people care anymore? So yeah, there's a bit of ego tied up in that as well. But I'd looked at that before I left and I thought 
I'm ready because that was a really wonderful part of my life and I, I really enjoyed doing it. We had loads of fun. But I don't want to do that anymore. I'm ready to move on and do something else. I had to accept that could disappear completely. And I then become, didn't you used to be? <laughs> didn't you used to be someone? And uh, what's been really fortunate for me is that because I didn't change who I am, I just changed what I did for a job, everything's continued. So I've always been the same person on TV. I've always been kind and caring and good at my job and wanting to support people and help them. I just did it in that way. Now I do it in this way. So now I have people coming up to you saying, coming up to me saying, I always liked you on the TV because I could tell you were kind and I love that you're now doing what you're doing and you're helping people in the way that you are. So actually that kind of arc of I'm leaving this job where people know me for for being this one thing, Andrew McLean's Lou Simmons, because I carried on just being myself and who I am. I'm now Andrew McLean, this girl is on fire who, and there's a, I'm really fortunate in this, Johnny, and I understand how fortunate I am in that people have come with me. They've they've carried on that experience with me. Then now it's they stop me in the street or they follow me on Instagram or some of them have joined my community. But I think the thread that's run through it all is that I haven't changed. It's not like, but I thought I knew you. You were, you were this person and now you're this person. I don't know how I feel about that. Actually, it's not. It's, ah, you're... You're you who did this thing. I thought you were like that, and now you're doing this. I think that's great. So actually, I've been really lucky. Well, that's you and your community. What about the wider show business world? Because as soon as you've stopped doing Lucifer Men, yeah. your value, your commodity of this is someone who's on TV must change. I speak to a lot of reality stars in this podcast, and especially yeah, those yeah. who've done like Love Island, who have their big moment as they come out the villa and they're getting all the red carpets and all the PAs and then it stops about six months later and they have to refine their purpose. Yeah. When you come off TV, did that all stop as well? The invitations, the brand deals, the endorsements? Because you've still got a following online, but you're not on TV every day for in people's mindsets. Right, right. I see what you mean. Yeah. Um, yes, 100% it did. When obviously I made the announcement that I was leaving TV to follow my heart, follow my dreams, go all in on this Girls on Fire. Obviously, we put a lot of planning into that moment because financially, that's a huge jump because I I was the breadwinner and this was a job that was paying paying the bills. But everyone who works in TV does other jobs as well. So they're, they're normally their endorsements or their brands, it's brand work or corporate work or this sort of thing. So for me, I had enough corporate work lined up that that was going to keep the funds coming in until I felt the right, this goes on fire, will get traction and it will start to take off. So it was a calculated decision. On the day that I announced that I was leaving, every brand dropped me, every single one. So I went from having, okay, I know that I'll have this much money coming in and this much work that will see me through for the next six to eight months, gone. Literally overnight, it disappeared. That's how big a deal it is walking away from TV. And for me, financially, it was a punch in the stomach because, oh, my God, my safety net is gone. 
what do I do? I can't turn back. I can't, I can't change my mind because I still want to do this thing. But, oh, my God, I now don't have a safety net. I literally just have my savings and I have no other income coming in. But what it did was it mentally meant, wow, okay, that's how fickle this world is. Literally, in terms of branding, in terms of advertising, nobody cares about you. They care about what you represent. And right now, you just represent someone who has stepped away from a really high-profile job. And I just thought, I'm all right with that. I'm okay with that. Because these brands that dropped me, they don't, they don't value me. They don't understand my worth. Because actually, what I'm about to go and do now is way more powerful than me working on a TV show. I might not be as famous, but considering, and I won't say who these brands were, they were all to do with raising women up. They were all to do with you know, making women feel good. But actually, they didn't care about that. They only cared about my profile. For me, it was actually, if you hung, hung around with me long enough and stayed with me on this journey, you will get way more value because I will be... 100% behind you as Andrew McLean, the brand of someone who passionately cares about making people feel good, not just Andrew McLean, the person who was on the telly. So as far as I'm concerned, you've missed out. But that takes a lot of balls to see it that way and self-belief to see it that way while your bank balance is going in one direction and it is going down. Um, but I did, and I've held on to that. And I had other brands approach me afterwards, and I had to, I had different TV work uh, come my way, and I turned all of it down because my mindset was, I'm not, I'm not going to say yes to something just to be famous or to get back on TV. And so people go, oh, there she is again. You know, if it doesn't fit with what I'm doing, I'm not going to say yes to it. So it was about sticking to my stick into my guns. And actually, when you do that, it makes saying no so much easier. I needed it. I, I needed, the, I needed the, the finances. Yes, it would have helped in terms of profile. But for what? The profile would have been out of context. So actually, it would have been damaging. I turned away from it. And yes, it had consequences, huge consequences. But I, I'm still so glad I did it. And I'd do it again. What TV did you turn away from? Oh, I'd rather not say. Okay. Uh, but, but various reality shows. Oh, okay. But I was, was going to say, uh, not the reality, because obviously we know you've done a couple of reality shows. You know, you did Dancing on Ice, you did uh, other mm. things as well. But I was thinking more in terms of as a journalist that it doesn't matter where you are, you're still a credible journalist. So could you not mm. be doing the Jeremy Vine show on Channel 5 now because you're freed up, because you're not tied to a channel? Or even this morning when they do their newspaper review or newspaper reviews elsewhere, because as a journalist, you're not going to switch off from the news completely. You're still mm, going to tap into mm -hmm. it and you're still a news junkie. That doesn't go away. So do you not miss that side? And did you not want to still carry on that little bit of media because it was an enjoyment? It can become a hobby now. It can kind of go back to where you were pre the GMTV days. Again, that's a really good observation. And yes, I was offered those slots in terms of on various programs, going in and doing news reviews and, and this sort of thing. But I turned those down as well because... One, we were in full build mode with building the app, building the community, and it. And you know this, it, things like that take a lot longer than you think they do. They they take up half a day, even though it looks like two minutes on the TV. It takes up a lot of time. So there was a timing issue, but also then, I didn't just want to be a talking head, uh, talking about other people's news. If I was going to 
go and talk about something. I wanted to talk about something that was relevant to what I was doing. It was also about keeping my powder dry. Well, I think that's also another good thing about, you know, leaving New Swimming as well, is that something that I've noticed in the past couple of years is a change in the production of the show. So, for example, back in the day, if a panel was, let's say, you, Denise, Cal McGiffin and Jay McDonald, all Linda Bellingham, it will be really fun, it'll be really flirty, it'll be really silly, there'll be a lot of uh, innuendos, and now it's a lot more serious. And since it's become a lot more serious, there's a lot more, how do we get in the men online? You know, what's the loose women done today to get in the men online? And therefore, it's become in the news, and as an outsider and as a viewer, it's always become quite toxic because the news are just the newspapers are going, oh, these loose women have fallen out, or you'll never guess what's going on behind the scenes of loose women. And that must be quite hard to pick up the papers each day to see that and go, well, I've not done anything and I can't see anyone else doing anything. So where's this come from? And is there something I don't know? Mm. I think um, the press has always done that with loose women because they've, they've, the media have always liked this idea of women women attacking each other whereas if you had this the same conversation but it happened to be a group of men that were having it that would be called vigorous debate it wouldn't be called falling out or attacking um people people have different opinions that's the beauty of a show like lucy Min or you know jeremy vine you know th- there's there's something really sad about the fact that the all media will constantly pit women against women even when that's not happening you know people two men can have well i'm repeating myself now but yeah two men can have a really vigorous debate over something and they're not attacking each other they're simply disagreeing and having two different opinions but and it's always been that way it was like that when lucerman first appeared and it's still like it now and it will always stay that way not because the lucerman are attacking each other but because that's how the media like to put it it's just it's just always seemed mad to me it's always yeah. because you've always come across as a family and a group of friends and you know back in the day you did that big trip to new york and it's always been one big friendship and the, the support you will give to each other mm. you know for example people like kate thornton or zoe tyler will go on to do other things away from loose women and you've all joined them because you're a loose family and then i'm like hold on a minute they're all friends so why are we seeing that they're not friends Mm, it it's just always been that way. It's 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 a mystery. I don't I don't know. It just it makes headlines, and I don't know. I don't know. This is why it's good to stay away from the media. So when it comes to loose women now, as you look back, you know it's been a while since you left. How do you look back at that time now? Is it has it changed the way you look at it because of everything that you've gone through through the self development you've gone through? Because now you can look at yourself as Andrew McLean, the journalist of a loose woman anchor. Whereas now you're a new version of Andrew McLean. Yeah, it has actually because, and and again, this is the same with anybody. It's the same with if you were in a relationship for a long time, or if in a house for a long time, or you you moved to a different part of the country, or whatever. When you're in it, you're just in it, and you're you're living it, and you're doing it, whatever your your thing is. And then when you look back on it, I have you know I'm sitting in my office now, and I can see I've got three different pictures, big framed pictures of me with the loose women. One is a cartoony thing that an artist had sent in me when I was on, on loose women. There's so much loose women memorabilia that's dotted about my office and I can look at it all and smile. What an incredible time of my life, 13 years. I've, I ended up 
becoming the longest serving host of the show because, you know, it's been around for a long time. But for the time that I was there was when it was a regular slot on daytime TV. Before I was there, it was just kind of dotted about the, the schedule. When you're there a long time, you see various people come and go. You have different experiences. And now I look back, I'm literally looking at the picture now. Of, do you remember when we did the body stories of when we were all in our... Uh, bathing costumes and this uh, Brian Adams the the musician had taken the photograph of us I'm literally looking at it now and just remembering how scared we all were that day and yet that picture is of us all laughing and looking confident and we really were and everyone was like oh my god we're going to take this photograph and it makes me smile it, you know what an incredible moment so that's how I look back on it that's amazing. Now. so that's looking back looking forward though we know Denise and Colleen and Carol McGiffin have taken big breaks from the show and come back years and years later. Is mm. there the chance that you're going to go back? I've got to ask the question. Is there a yeah, chance that you're going to go back to Loose Women one day? No, I understand why you're asking the, the question. It's a really natural question to ask. And um, for me, it would be no, but not in a, oh my God, no sort of way. But just as in 100% I'll go on it and chat about stuff, yes totally but to to work on it no because i love so much what i'm doing now i really love what i'm doing now and also that was then and it ended nicely you know there's not many people can kind of walk away from a career that they've had as long as i i had and just do it with with grace and i feel like i did it with with grace and no yeah, the, the door is always open to me there. I know that, and, and I, I do know that, and I appreciate that. But for me, no. But yes, I will go on definitely as a guest and chat about things, 100%, but not to go on to work, because I just love what I'm doing too much. And that's an amazing place to be, because if you ask a soap star or an actor, you know, you've left your biggest show, you've been on it for years as this character, that's what you're known mm. as, will you go back? And, you know, we've all asked the same questions, are you going to go back? And it's either never say never, so what are you going to be doing? I've got loads of things in the pipeworks. You know, realistically, yeah, that means yeah, yeah. absolute nothing. But the fact you've yeah. actually got something and you've got a new passion and you've got a new hobby and it's okay to change your passion over time, to be a journalist, yeah. to now be into self-development. That's absolutely okay to do that. But it's now you're going to become that big fish of that new world. Rather than being the big fish of the journalism world and being the anchor of Lucifer Men, not just the panelists, but being the anchor, you've done that. You've been the big fish there. You're now going to be the big fish in the self-development world and especially as a female mm. you know apart from yourself and mel robbins and the mother pucker there aren't that many whereas with the guys you've got Stephen barley you've got jay shetty and a couple of the other guys that you've spoken about mm. in this podcast so you're going to become that big fish but you need time to invest in that and also to actually swim as that big fish you can't just become the big fish and go back down again yeah and and it, exactly and you're turning you you're 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 looking backwards and I want I want to keep looking forward. And it's really interesting what you what you've observed there in terms of women in this space. You know, most most personal growth books or self help books or or however you want to term them are written by men. But the biggest market for them is women. And when I found this out, and this is after I'd written uh, this girl's on fire, I found that really shocking because I just thought what this means is we're being given you know, help or instruction or however you want to, you know, phrase these term, terminalized, term, use the terminology for these books by men. And men think differently to women. I mean, okay, we can all think logically about certain certain things, but at our, at our core, we do, we think differently about things. So for me, it was important to, 
to do the same work. And I've put the same work in and I've trained and, and what have you. But to put it from a female perspective, because the vast majority of people who read these books are women. So I, there was a lot of, it's interesting you mentioned Mel Robbins. You know, I, Mel Robbins is incredible. And she's, you know, one of the most booked personal growth and motivational speakers in the world. I mean, she speaks to millions. She has sold millions of books and she's so well uh, regarded in the, in this space. And I had the opportunity to go to dinner with her a few months ago. I, I barely slept the night before. I was so sweaty and nervous because I couldn't believe that actually I'm now in the company of of this this woman because, like I say, A, it's so rare and two, she, you know, B, she's so, she's so famous. And I had dinner with her and She's just a person. She's a wonderful human being who is really knowledgeable and is great in, in her field and all of these things. But spending time in her company, I realized she's just a human being like we all are. And actually, after I met her, I was able to breathe out because just as you do when you, you, know, you interview people and you might put them on a pedestal and, and you think, oh, my gosh, they're this. No, we're all human. She's just sharing her experience. That's all. And she's been doing it really well for for years to millions of people. And I'm clearly right at the start of this journey in terms of how I'm known. But it was a really wonderful experience having dinner with her and her daughter and, you know, got to know her a bit better and chatting about her husband and all this sort of stuff. It's like, wow, I realize I've been looking at you the way that, you know, I look at pop stars or movie stars. And actually, everybody at the end of their day lays down in their bed, closes their eyes and goes to sleep. Everybody goes to the toilet. Everybody, as the saying goes, puts their trousers on one leg at a time. We're all just people. And it was really reassuring for me to just kind of breathe out and think, yeah, I love what I'm doing. I love this conversation I'm having with you now that we're in, we are in this space, even if you're way further down the line than I am. Um, but I love that this is now, this is now where I am and this is the company that I keep. Absolutely incredible, Andrea. So as a person away from being the TV host, away from being the journalist, away from being the entrepreneur, away from being the third best-selling author. Final question, are you happy now, Andrea? So happy, so content, because we, I've had a, I've, I've had a, a tattoo. This is my third tattoo, and I've just had it done about a month ago. And what I had tattooed onto my wrist is a, is a heartbeat that ends in a feather. And it's to remind myself every day when I look down that life will have extreme highs and it will have extreme lows. But what that is, is that is the heartbeat of life. Life goes up and down, up and down. And all you can do is embrace all of it. And if you can find contentment in it, then you're living a happy life. And that's where I am now. I'm happy. I'm content. Incredible. Andrea, I can't thank you enough. Your book, You Just Need to Believe It, is out now. Thank you so much for talking to me. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me on. Thank you for, for not just reading the book, but doing the book and doing the work. And it, it means so much to me to know that it's made a difference to you. I, I'm so happy for you. And I'm so happy for me that you did it. You loved it.
Angela McLean. Her book, You Just Need to Believe It, is out now. What an amazing woman. Absolutely love her. And I hope that she comes back to our TV screens one day. And if you're a fan of Lucerman, that's what drew you to this episode. There are many other episodes of Security and Secure with other of your favourite Lucerman panellists, including Katie Piper, Kate Thornton, Denise Welsh and Colleen Nolan. Go and check them out where you get your podcast from on Security and Secure. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please do go and share it. Tell your friends. Hashtag you just need to believe it. Go and buy the book. But on Apple Podcasts, go onto the page, leave a five-star review and leave a review. Leave a comment and then share it on your Instagram, share it on Twitter, share it on Snapchat, TikTok, wherever you go. But let's just spread the word that you just need to believe it. And you've listened to this episode of Security and Secure and you've been inspired. I've been Johnny Seifert. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.